Hi, my name is Caroline Durham, and I'm the minister to children here at Heights Baptist Church. Thanks for joining us online today. You can find our content on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and at our website, heightschurch.org connect. You can let us know that you joined us today um, and let us know how we can be praying for you. Thanks for joining us. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 is where we're going to be this morning. If you've got a Bible to turn on or to open up, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, we are in a series called Unshaken, and we are just going right through the book of 2 Thessalonians. So we started it last week in chapter 1. And simply, if you uh, weren't able to make it, let me just catch you up with chapter 1. Paul essentially said this, when Christ comes again, uh, he will reward those who love him and give retribution to those who reject him. And that's what he showed us in chapter 1. This morning, we are picking up in chapter 2, and we're going to cover all of chapter 2 today. And then next uh, two weeks, we'll split chapter 3 up into two uh, sermons, and then we'll finish through 2 Thessalonians. But in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, what Paul does is he gives us a peek into the future. And again, he is talking about the return of Christ. Uh, this is a, a popular topic that he has written now about twice to the church of Thessalonica. In chapter in 1 Thessalonians, he mentions the return of Jesus. Here in chapter 2 of 2 Thessalonians, he goes over it again that Christ is coming again. But there's some trouble within the church and among the Christians when they are hearing about these topics, they're kind of beginning to get shaken in their faith. Let's pick up in verse 1. He says, now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. And so you see this news that Jesus is coming is out, but these people are shaken. So let me just kind of put verses 1 through 2 in modern day terms if I can. Uh, Paul is essentially telling you when you receive the Facebook message that's saying pass this on to all your friends before they take it down, don't panic. When you receive the email that says, oh my goodness, have you read this and seen what they're doing now? Don't panic. When you watch a little too much of your favorite cable news show and they show you how bad things are, don't panic. That's what Paul's saying. Don't panic. Because here's the panic. They're listening to all kinds of different things out there and no longer about what Paul has been teaching them. Notice down in verse 5 that Paul says, do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things. So Paul's like, guys, pay attention. We've already covered this, and I'm covering it again. Right? And it's not just the word of Paul. Like you're saying, well, wait a minute. Well, that's just Paul saying that. No, 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 no. Paul's writing the word of God as he is teaching it to them. So he says, we've covered this. You haven't missed the day of the Lord. Stop listening to all the noise that's out there and move back to the word of God that you've moved away from. And this is the issue. He says that some of them have, you know, believed that they've missed the day of the Lord, verse 2 tells us. 
because they have moved away from what God has said, and they're listening more to man than they are listening to God. Now, the day of the Lord, I, I know when you, you kind of bring that up, there's questions, what is the day of the Lord? And, and there's folks that think that that's a couple of different things. One of that would be the day of the Lord is the seven-year tribulation period, that it, it covers all of those last seven years of the tribulation time that is to come in our future. Or like me, many people believe the day of the Lord is when Jesus comes back. It's his second appearing. And that was chapter 1, that when Jesus comes again, he rewards those who love him, but then brings retribution to those who reject him. So that means right now as a believer in Jesus Christ, I need to see people not as my enemy, but I need to see people that are being deceived by the enemy because the Bible tells us that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers of the air. So our true enemy is not the non-Christian that does not believe in Jesus. Our true enemy is Satan who then blinds the eyes of people who do not believe because they can't see clearly of Christ. So our job is to help them see Jesus. And then Jesus, when he comes again, he balances the scales of justice perfectly, only like he can. So how do we live? How do we live right now in what Paul points out in verse 2 is a shaky time? Well, I want you to see this truth that you're going to see in chapter 2, this thread that's really running all throughout this letter, and it's this. That in shaky times, we can stand firm on God's unshakable promises. I, this way, I, I want you just really to kind of settle in on that. That yes, there's things that are happening right now that appear very shaky to us. And, and we can kind of sometimes lose our, our path and our way. Let God's promises anchor you today. Let it hold you where you need to be. Let it keep you on the path God has for you. So when things get shaky around you, you allow God's word that you stand on to be those unshakable promises that you need in your life, that I need in my life. Now, Paul's going to show us three events that have to happen before Jesus comes again. So notice three events that are going to take place before Christ comes again. And in the meantime, even though it's shaky around us, we're going to stand on his promise. The first event is the rebellion. Notice in verse 3, it says, let no one deceive you in any way for that day. And that day he's talking about in verse 3 is pointing us back up to verse 2, the day of the Lord. For that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction. We see that word in verse 3, rebellion. That word means apostasy. And to apostatize means you have moved away from your faith. So it's a military term. Apostasy is a military term in the Greek that means to abandon your position. So when one apostatizes from their faith, they walk away. They say, I don't want to believe in God anymore. I'm not a follower of Jesus Christ anymore. I'm leaving the faith. I'm walking away from all of that. And Paul's saying, in the end, before Christ comes, this is going to take place. There's going to be a widespread rebellion. And Christians are saying, I'm out of here. I'm walking away from the Lord. I'm not following him anymore. Things are too shaky. I'm checking out. 
Now, I, I just want to ask, you don't have to answer this out loud, but do you see that some in our culture today? You see that some in our churches today? I mean, there, there are a lot of churches and a lot of pastors that are moving away from the Word of God and are no longer standing upon what the Word says. They're, they're saying, you know, this is getting too hard. We're, we're out of here. We want to do our own thing. We're walking away from the Lord. Listen, I'm going to do you a favor, all right? If I ever move away from preaching this book, you don't have to worry about firing me. I'll fire myself, okay? You, you, you don't have to just say, hey, we need fire Lee. He's no longer preaching the Bible. I'll take care of that for you. You know why? Because my job is not to entertain you on a Sunday morning. You get that? My job's not to do that. You know what my job is? Is to get you ready to meet Jesus Christ. Because you're going to stand before him one day. Period. We're all going to be before the Lord one day. Colossians 1.28, Paul says this, Him we preach, Christ we preach, warning every man, teaching every man, so that we may be complete in Christ Jesus. That's my job. That's my commitment. That's why we stand on the authority of the Word of God here. That's why we preach the Word of God here. And guess what? There's going to be some Sundays you walk away and you didn't like one thing I said. You're not going to think I'm very popular. I, you, you may not like me that week. Guess what? There's a lot of times I say some things that I don't like either, and it's really hard. Right? You might, and I've had people say this to me all the time through ministry. Man, boy, that sermon, you just stepped all over my toes. Guess what? I work on this message all week long. Man, you know how the Holy Spirit steps on my toes? Sometimes it takes me 10 to 12 hours to get a 30-minute message ready. You got stepped on for 30 minutes. God was stomping on me, all right? So there's a lot of times, there's just things I'm like, yeah, I had to say it. It's just there, and it's hard. But that's what we do. Why? Because we don't want to see people apostatize. We don't want to see people walking away from their faith. And so in those shaky times, we need to stand firm on God's unshakable promises. But notice also the second event is this. The Antichrist is going to appear. So you're going to have a rebellion. You're going to have the Antichrist who appears. Let's pick up in verse 3 again. He says, Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God, or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. And so we see the first event is the rebellion, then the rise of the Antichrist. Now there are, are some people who say, which comes first? Is it the great apostasy or is it the Antichrist? Which one's going to happen first? And some say it's the Antichrist, then destruction, or destruction, the Antichrist. Which one's right? Uh-huh. Yeah. All right. Yes. I mean, I, I think they just kind of, it's hand in hand, all right? It's just hand in hand. And, and notice what this Antichrist is going to do. He's called in the scriptures, the man of lawlessness, the son of destruction, the Antichrist. What's his job? What is he here for? He's here to usurp God's authority and to demand the worship of everybody. So he's going to one day try to usurp God's authority. He's going to say, all right, everybody worship me because now I'm God. And notice in verses 9 through 10 what he's going to do. It says, the coming of the lawless one is by activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders. Verse 10, and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. And so what you have right now that's happening 
is what would be called a spirit of the Antichrist. John writes this in his letter. He says, by this you know the spirit of God, that every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, and that every spirit that does not confess Christ is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and is in the world already. And so what you have right now is little a, little Antichrist, where this spirit is out in our culture, trying to deceive people from moving away from the gospel, from coming to know Christ. Now, big A, Antichrist, hasn't been revealed yet. But has it been born yet? Is he an infant? Is he a teenager? Is he in his 20s, early 30s? Well, that we don't know. He's not been revealed on the scene yet. But we know the spirit of the Antichrist is working. And sometimes things feel very shaky for us in those moments. Things feel shaky, don't be alarmed. Don't panic. Don't lose your hope. Because of this reason, we have God's unshakable promises that we can stand on. And I want you to get that this morning. And I want you to end up like the church in Thessalonica who's panicking over all the things that are happening. No, 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 no. Cause for concern? Yes. Panic? No. Why? Because God has given us his word and his promise. No one will move me off my throne, even though they may try. And so we see that, that first event, the rebellion. Second event, that there's going to be a time this antichrist is going to come. But notice the third event, is the restrainer is going to remove his restraint. The restrainer is going to remove his restraint. Now let's pick up in verse 6. It says, And you know what is restraining him now, so that he may be revealed in his time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only now who restrains, it will uh, do so until he is out of the way. Now, notice something and someone is holding all of this back, all right? That someone or something is holding this Antichrist back yet. He's not been revealed yet because he's being restrained. Verse 6, Paul says it's a what, all right? There's, and you know what is restraining him. Verse 7, he says who is now restraining him. We're reading this and going, Paul... Tell us who, the, who, who, who this is. Like, who's the restrainer? Who's the what? And who's the who? Right? And he doesn't give us a whole lot of details in verses 6 and 7 of who the what is and who the who is. Why? Well, because of verse 5, he's already told them. Right? He's already said who, who the who is and the, what the what is. But we're like, what in the world are you talking about now? Because I got lost in who and all your who's and what's, and now I'm wondering why. Right? And now I'm really wondering, how are you going to make this all come together? Well, I'm going to answer who the who is and the what the what is by giving you the why and the how. It's this. Verse 6, the what is the Holy Spirit. It's his ministry. Verse 7 is God. God, through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, is right now restraining the Antichrist from coming. Right now, he's holding all of that back. 
Now, are times progressing for the better? Or are times progressing where we see things are not progressing in a positive way? You know, Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verses 12 through 13 this. He says, Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. So let me ask you this. When Paul wrote that to Timothy over 2,000 years ago, where he says, listen, persecution is going to come against Christians, there's going to be deception, and people are going to walk away from the faith, do you think that's gotten better, or do you think that's gotten worse? Right? I, I, I'm going to argue till I'm blue in the face, and I ain't gotten a whole lot better, right? And guess what? It's going to get worse until the end comes. That's why we sing songs like, even so come, Lord Jesus. That's why we agree with the prayer of John in the book of Revelation, Lord Jesus, come. That's why we have this heartbeat within us, Lord Jesus, come again. Why? Because when Christ appears for the second time, when he comes back, he rewards those who love him, but he gives retribution for those who reject him. So where does that put us? That puts us in a position right now to trust him, to trust in his unshakable promises. But we see there's coming a day that Paul says in verse 7 that he will loosen his grip and he'll allow these things to happen and he'll allow the Antichrist to come. Now, now notice what I said, and I said it very carefully. I said he's going to loosen his grip. Not going to take his hands off the wheel, but he's going to loosen his grip. He's going to allow the Antichrist to come. But guess what? He's still got a grip. Still got a grip on everything. And here's a challenge for you. Read through the book of Revelation here soon. And when you read through the book of Revelation, do me a favor, put, a, put aside the timelines, put aside the charts, put aside the graphs, and look for this theme in the book of Revelation when you read it. Everything that happens in the book of Revelation, God has control over. Every detail, every moment, every event that's going to take place, God has it down to the very very details. And so read through the book of Revelation, just watch for that theme, that God knows every single detail of what's going to happen. What does that show you? That he's got a grip, he's got a plan, and in the end, he'll loosen it for just a little bit, and he'll allow this to happen, but he won't ever, ever take his hand off the wheel. And so Paul says, these three events are going to take place, the rebellion's going to come, the Antichrist will be on the scene. God is going to loosen his restraint over him. But then that leaves us with this question. What do we do? What do we do in the meantime? How do, I mean, that, that's probably information for some of you you've, you've, you've never learned or maybe for some of you you've reminded of, but what in the world is it calling you to do right now? <laughs> how's that help you today and how's that going to help you tomorrow? Well, that's a fantastic question because that's a question we should always ask when we read our Bibles. Is, Lord, what's it calling me to do? How are you using that truth to transform my life? And let me give you four actions that I believe are good transformational ways right now to hold on to the very promises of God. And let's pick up in verse 13. It's this. Give thanks to God. During these shaky times, be people that constantly worship the Lord. I mean, during it's shaky, I get that, but hold on to those unshakable promises by doing this. Give thanks to Him. Worship Him. Pick up in verse 13. He says, but we always ought to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth 
To this he called you through our gospel, so you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus. And so he says, so then, brothers, stand firm, hold fast to the traditions you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. Notice verse 13, that action right there. Give thanks to God. Give thanks to him. You know, we ought to be the most thankful, grace-filled, love-showing people on the planet, right? No matter how hard things are, no matter how shaky things get, grace, thanksgiving, and love should always be pouring out of us. Why? Because what Paul just said right there, he said, before you decided to love God, God decided to love you. Before you said yes to Jesus, God said yes to you. So that when you heard the gospel and someone shared that, whether it be a Sunday school teacher, a pastor, a vacation Bible school teacher, a friend, a parent, whoever shared the gospel with you, and you said yes to Jesus, you turned from your sin and you repented of your, of your sin and you trusted Christ by faith, all that was took place because God loved you first. And boy, because God loved you, boy, love him. God loves you, love him. Show him that worship. Make, make him the priority of your Sunday, of your Monday, of your Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Give thanks. And notice not only because you're saved, but that act of sanctification, verse 13, that through the sanctification by the Spirit in belief and truth, we were called to this gospel that we may obtain the glory of Christ. This word sanctification means to be set apart. So when you came to faith in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit set you apart for holy living. The Holy Spirit set you apart from condemnation. The Holy Spirit set you apart from judgment. The Holy Spirit set you apart in salvation. So then when Christ comes again, he rewards those who love him. Why? Because God took that initiative in your life. And the Holy Spirit worked in that way. And for you and I, we ought to be thankful people that in the end, we don't face judgment, but we're rewarded. We stand before our Lord and worship and praise him for what he's done. So that first action, give thanks. Second action, stand firm. Verse 15, so then brothers, stand firm and hold the traditions that were taught by us either by our spoken word or our letter. That word stand firm means to, to hold your position. If apostasy is to move away, stand firm is to hold on to it. Hold on to that gospel. So that gospel that saves you is the gospel that sustains you, all right? The gospel that has brought you salvation is that gospel you need every day in your life, every day I need in my life. You know, when we share the gospel with people, the good news of what Christ Jesus has done for us on the, on the cross and through his resurrection, we always sometimes frame it in the terms of ABCs, you know? Uh, if you want to become a Christian, admit that you're a believer in Jesus, believe in Christ, confess him as the Lord and Savior. That's the ABCs of your, you know, how you come to faith. But listen, the gospel is the A through the Z every day of the Christian life. We need it constantly in our lives. For a lot of us, we just need to constantly remember this. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was blind, but now I see. You know, now I have life in Christ today and through all of eternity because of what Jesus has done for me. Boy, that'll change your attitude when you have a little church with yourself on the Monday morning when you don't want to get out of bed, right? You know, when things are hard, you just repeat that. Boy, why, man, let me step back and look at what God has done in, in my life. You know, as Christians, for some of you, you have been saved for 
30 years, 40 years, 50 years, 60 years. Boy, don't, don't lose that simple message of what God has done for you. Don't ever get over the fact you once were on your way to hell and somebody stepped in and told you, you don't have to go there. And this man by the name of Jesus is now taking you to a different place called heaven. Boy, that should excite every single one of us, right? Don't ever get over the gospel. Amen? Stand firm in this. This is what we need to ground us in our faith in shaky times. Hold fast to the traditions. That's number three. Hold fast to the traditions of Scripture. It says, hold to the traditions, verse 15, that you were taught by us either by our spoken word or our letter. When he uses that word tradition, some of you might sit up straight and think, aha, wait a minute. Paul's saying we don't change things in church, right? We don't, we don't change stuff. We can't change our programs. We can't change our music. We can't change what we do because we've always done them and we're holding fast to the traditions. Brother and sister in Christ, you got the wrong tradition, right? We hold those things loosely here at Heights. Why? Because we hold the gospel tightly. And we will do what we have to do to reach the next person for Jesus. And that's our tradition. Our tradition here is we uphold the word of God in which we believe, in which we stand, in which we preach, in which we unashamedly call people to faith here. That's our tradition in which we hold fast to our programs, our methods, our musics, all those things we hold loosely to because we will constantly, passionately be about reaching the next person for Christ, whether they are 80, whether they are 8, whether they are 38. Amen? I wasn't asking that rhetorically, but I'll move on because it seemed like four of you were on the bandwagon for that one, but that's okay. We will tackle that in another sermon at another time. I'm sure if I said go Astros, I might have gotten a better response there, but that's okay. There we go. I'm okay with that amen as well. Our actions in which help ground us in the faith is we give thanks. We are people of worship. We stand firm in the gospel. We hold on to the gospel in our traditions of preaching. But also notice verse 4, we pray for others. Verses 16 and 17, we ought to be people of prayer in these moments because Paul says, Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. We ought to be people of praying for one another in these shaky times to say, oh Lord, help this person be unshakable in their faith, standing upon your unshakable promises. That's what Paul's saying right there at the end of this part of this letter. Even though I've unloaded all of this information, Paul is saying, I want to pray for your faith. I want to pray, verse 17, that your hearts are established and you have comfort in the gospel in which you are growing spiritually. And so this morning, I want to encourage you, we're going to take a moment and do just that. We have already worshiped. We have opened the word of God, but we are going to pray for one another that during these shaky times, we hold on to the un shakable 
promises of God's word. So would you bow your heads, close your eyes, just right where you are. I want to thank you for joining us and watching today's message. And I want to just go over a quick story with you that's a really important story in the Bible, and it means a lot to me. It's about a man by the name of Nicodemus. See, Nicodemus was a guy who pretty much grew up going to church all his life. And one night he comes to Jesus, and it's late in the evening, and he sits down with Jesus, and he essentially asks him a question. Jesus, how do I go to heaven? How do I get into the kingdom of God? And Jesus responds in John chapter 3 that you have to be born again. Now, Nicodemus asks a very practical question. We all would think, well, how in the world can someone be physically born twice? But Jesus wasn't talking about a second physical birth. He's talking about a spiritual birth, that you have to be born again. See, the Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 2 that without Christ, our spirits are dead, that we're not able to worship God and love God and honor God. But then when we come to Jesus as the Lord and Savior of our lives, Jesus helps us to be born again. He gives us new birth and our spirits come alive. And so Ephesians chapter 2 again then says, Then by grace you have been saved. It's not a work of yourself. It's the work of Jesus in your life. But listen, that has to be received. You have to receive that gift of grace in your life and believe that Jesus Christ is the Lord and Savior of your life. And simply put it this way, did Jesus do everything he possibly could do to save you on the cross? Or is there something else out there? Is he the only way or are there other ways? You know, the way to be saved is to say Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. And friend, when you place your faith and trust in Jesus and Jesus alone, Jesus forgives you of all your sin, past, present, and future. And when you die, one day he will take you to be with him in heaven. And so when you think about the wonderful promises of Jesus, I want to encourage you today, right where you are, to receive them and believe in him. And so if you are ready to do that today, let's just bow in prayer. And I'm going to encourage you in your heart today to mean these words because this is what God says, that when we believe in our hearts that Jesus has died on the cross for us, that we can be saved. So would you pray with me? You can simply say, Dear God, today I believe Jesus is the Lord and Savior of my life. I'm placing my faith and trust in Him in Him alone. Thank you for forgiving me of my sin and one day taking me to heaven to be with you forever. Thank you, Jesus. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Friend, I want to thank you so much today for watching our message and encourage you. If you've prayed today to follow Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of your life, please let us know so we can come alongside of you and encourage you, help you take your next step of faith. You can connect with us at our website, heightschurch.org slash connect. You can even leave a comment here on this YouTube page, and we'll be in touch with you because we want to just come alongside of you and help you take that next step of faith. So until next time, thank you for joining us today, and we'll see you soon.